Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week we will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is our first solo rower of the series, Rob Hamilton. Hey Rob, please introduce yourself. So my name's Rob Hamilton. I am 31 years old from Surrey in the UK. I took part in the 2020 Tarasca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge as a solo rower under the team name Atlantic Titan, uh, and my crossing took me 53 days. We will start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? So I'd wanted to do the row for about 12 years before I, before I actually did. In 2008, I was 18 years old, and I was at the Southampton Boat Show, and there were these two guys standing next to this weird looking boat and they basically told me they were going to go and row across the Atlantic in it. And I thought this is completely and utterly insane. Uh, I don't understand how that's possible. I don't understand how long it'll take. I, I don't It sounds horrific. It sounds amazing. It turns out I was pretty much on the money, but I didn't know that at the time. And I'd, I'd always been drawn as well to, to adventures and especially to the ocean. So put those two together and it was really more of a kind of a no-brainer for me. And I think I've always been a very curious person as well. So so I was always sort of wondering what it would be like to experience that. You know, what's it like to get on a boat and row it 3,000 miles across the ocean? You know, what's over the next sort of horizon and things like that? And that always interested me about adventure and, and I guess exploration as well. But it was 2008 and, and, you know, I was at school and then I was at university and I tried to put a four-man team together in like 2014 or something, it didn't really work out. In 2016, I got into the army, into Sandhurst. And then it was sort of my idea that I might do this when I was in the army. Unfortunately, I only lasted about a week, uh, at which point I busted my knee quite badly uh, and was discharged out of the army. And then I sort of thought, okay, well, if ever there was a time to do it, it's going to be now. Of course, I just injured my knee quite badly. I was on crutches, couldn't do anything really, uh, which wasn't a particularly fun time. But I knew I was going to do this at some point. The only difference was now I really wanted to do it solo, mainly because I wanted to prove to myself that, yeah, okay, the army thing hadn't worked out. And I think there was a suggestion by by some people that, well, I was now going to sort of settle down and, and work a sort of nine to five job in the city. And I really sort of resisted that. I, I resisted that idea that, well, just because I'm injured meant that I was no longer interested in doing adventures. And so... It was a little bit to sort of prove to other people that I could still go and do this stuff and I was still interested in doing this stuff, but also that I really wanted to do it myself and to prove to myself that I was still capable of doing these great big adventures. And so, yeah, that was that was probably the main build-up. Of course, it was still, that was 2016. It would still be another four years until I'd actually do it. So I went back to uni, did a master's, spent some time abroad, and then decided I really needed to sort of pull my finger out and, and actually get to work on this thing. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. Oh, it's really hard to pick just three things. But I think the thing, I think the biggest highlight was probably the night sky. I think I wasn't expecting it as much as I probably should have done. But you just look up and it, at night, you know, when, when the moon wasn't out and it was clear and you just see like, it's like looking at something out of a sci-fi movie. It just doesn't seem real. And you can see these sort of layers of stars and then, you know, you've got sort of the Milky Way and you've got shooting stars and you've got meteorites coming through the atmosphere and it's just incredible. And I remember just basically just staring at the sky, craning my neck to stare at the sky and like in night shifts, just having like the best time. And the hours would just kind of fall away and it was, it was incredible. So that, that was definitely probably my top highlight. I, I do really miss that. 
And then one of the other highlights, I think, would be surfing down some of those massive waves. You see these waves, and I don't really know how big they were. They felt like they were the size of like warehouses, but that's probably a bit of an exaggeration. And you're never quite sure how you're not going to capsize and how this is all going to work out when the waves are sort of approaching you. And you got close a couple of times, but but it's amazing. And then you sort of find yourself at the top and you're flying down this thing at sort of 15, 16 knots. <laughs> it's, it's just the most incredible experience. Yeah, that's just uh, that's just fantastic. It's like being on a roller coaster. It's it's really great. And then lastly, and I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a cop out of, of an answer, but it's actually just the simplicity of everything while you're out there. You know, you don't have to worry about work and emails and family gatherings and friends and bills and commuting and all this sort of stuff. Literally, all you are doing is rowing a lot, eating a lot, not sleeping very much. And there's a certain beauty, I think, in, in the simplicity of that. Because yes, it's it's hard and it's difficult and there are days that you don't want to be there, but it's undeniably beautiful and stunning. And I think there is really something beautiful in the simplicity. So yeah, I think those would be my top three. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? So on my crossing, I think the hardest part mentally came relatively early on. We had a big old patch that I think went on for about two weeks. I think it was about 15 days of either flat, calm weather or headwinds. Uh, I think we had like two days of headwinds like in the middle of that 15-day patch. And that was horrible because when it's flat, it's very much like trying to drag a 700 kilo weight through a desert because there's no wind to take the edge off the heat and there's no shade on the boat. So there's nothing to sort of cool you down. There's nothing to create any waves. So all you can do is sort of stare at the puddles coming off the spoons, you know, sort of eight strokes back or something and realize that you're really going nowhere and that when you stop rowing, you really aren't moving at all. And that sort of stillness, I think, I found very, very difficult, especially day after day. And then to only have that broken up by sort of headwinds over Christmas of all days was pretty savage. I wasn't terribly happy um, when that was going on. The hardest part physically is trickier to answer. I mean, I didn't really pick up any major injuries. I, I think I'd say toward the end, I probably found it more difficult as, as things like the sleep deprivation and stuff sort of started to catch up with me and various things like little niggles and things just started to deteriorate and get a little bit worse. You know, at one point I think I, I slipped and I, I cracked a, a rib on a rowing gate. That sounds very dramatic. It wasn't like really bad, but a little crack. But then I had some, you know, salt sores under my arms got worse and worse. And so it was, it was sort of a combination of those sort of things toward the end, which physically I think I, I definitely found the hardest. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? I mean, I know you say that I can't say people or pets, but I'm just saying I really miss the dogs. I miss the dogs much more than I miss the people. In fact, I never actually phoned home uh, at all, not even on Christmas. Uh, so that kind of tells you about my priorities, I guess. But other than that, I think so. So I had a soundtrack from TV show The Witcher uh, on my playlist. And one of the songs on there was from like some sort of sex scene in that. And it just came on randomly. And without skipping a beat, my head went straight to daydreaming about food. Real food, I really missed, especially barbecue. Don't know why, but that's exactly where my head went. So yeah, that was missed. That was, that was the, that was the big first thing. And then secondly, I think I really missed like colors because all you, all you really ever see is blue, right? So. I missed greenery and just, you know, trees and mountains and just something that wasn't the ocean. 
as much as I love the ocean. In fact, there was some like pond, I don't know, it was like seaweed or something basically growing in the gunnel of my boat and I decided not to clean it just because it gave like a little accent of green, natural green. And that, yeah, is quite sad now that I think about it. And then lastly, I I miss people. I really miss people. I know it's kind of trendy to say people suck and I don't like people, but I really miss talking to people. (laughs) The safety officer would phone you up every other day and I really enjoyed the conversations I had with Fraser and Ian. They were like, they were something to look forward to. And then there was a friend of mine as well, Gareth, uh, Atlantic Dragon. And, and I think he was, I got the message that he was miss, really missing people too. And so every Saturday we wound up actually phoning each other up and just having a chat about, about everything, about how we were responding to the conditions, what kind of wildlife we'd seen, what we were looking forward to in Antigua. And that was, that was pretty cool. That was a nice way to, to sort of give you something to look forward to because just that really just missed that basic human interaction. How much training did you do before the row? So I think, you know, my training can be split broadly into sort of two parts. Uh, There was time in the gym uh, and time in the boat. The stuff in the gym was pretty much just sort of powerlifting. So, you know, squat, bench, deadlift, and then a lot of time on the rowing machine. uh, And also a lot of work on sort of mobility and flexibility work. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that I was able to stay sort of more or less injury-free throughout the whole crossing. Uh, Because of the mobility work. I think I would have liked to have spent a little more time in the boat, an extra 48 hour row or so, I think would have been good. It was tricky because it was sort of COVID times and there were lockdowns and things. So that wasn't always possible. I think in the end, I, I logged about 140 hours or something. And at the time, I had to do a minimum of 120. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't fantastic, but it certainly wasn't terrible. Um, I don't know if the minimum requirement may have changed now, but yeah. I was pretty happy with that. The other thing that I that I attribute to no sort of injuries was actually learning to row. So getting in a boat and just learning the basics, um, you know, don't grip the oars too tight, drive with your legs, don't open your back up too soon. So I think that combined with the mobility work really helped me stay uh, injury free for the whole crossing. And I know I don't necessarily think there's a, you know, there's like a set way to train for an ocean row. Yes, I think mobility work and learning to row is important. But I don't think you need to be hitting like a certain weight on like a deadlift or you have to be rowing a certain time or you have to do a minimum number or or a certain number of hours in the boat beyond the minimum, of course. I think there's lots of different ways to do it. I think that time in the boat is probably the most important thing out of all of those if you had to pick one. Just because you're, you're, you know, you become more comfortable in it, you have things where you'd like them to be, it's, it becomes one less mental battle to fight. And then you just get used to spending more time at sea. In my case, you know, by by yourself. So yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the best the best way to do it. In hindsight, yeah, I would have loved to have spent a little more time in the boat, but you know, COVID times and and there you go. Did you suffer with any injuries, sores, nasties, or sickness? So by some anomaly of fate, I wasn't seasick at all. Um, I was really seasick in like all of my training rows. Uh, as soon as I put the anchor out, I was training out out of like Burnham on Crouch. And all my training rows, I put the anchor out, I was quite ill. And I was really worried about that, you know, because you're setting off on this two-month expedition. You're like, well, how bad is this going to be? But I wasn't seasick at all. I just used those uh, seasickness patches that I put behind my ears. Uh, and that was and that was great, to be honest. But for other stuff, yeah, there were a couple of other niggles and things. I ended up getting some, I didn't notice it until it was till it was a bit late, but I ended up getting some salt sores down the back of my arms, uh, sorry, down down my back, which was really unpleasant. And I didn't notice that until they got really quite bad toward the end of the row. 
And then with about 10 days to go after cleaning the bottom of the boat, I slipped and fell on a rowing gate and, and very slightly cracked a rib, which again, I sort of said before, but does sound more dramatic than it was. It's only like a little crack, but it was quite painful at the time. <laughs> but really, I was I was able to stay pretty much sort of, yeah, apart from those sort of injury and, and sores and so on free. You know, things like changing out your seat pads and don't grip the oars too tight to stop you getting any blisters on your hands. You know, your your hands and your ass really shouldn't be that much of a wreck. If your hands and your ass have, have gone re- have gone really, really bad, it's probably because you've been doing something wrong. Um, it's not really a badge of honor. It just kind of suggests that you haven't done something quite right. So, you know, switching out what you're sitting on, not gripping too tight, um, not using things like gloves, I found anyway, really, really helped with that. And then if you do get any sores or anything, um, salt sores or anything, just wash with fresh water and sort of keep an eye on it as best you can. Most of these things you get to land and after about two days, they tend to sort themselves out um, because you're showering properly and you know, you're not covered in salt water all the time. So yeah, it's no, it's no big deal really. Can you pick three songs which remind you of your row? So top three songs is really difficult, but I'll do my best because I had a playlist that was like four days long. So I think coming in at number one would have to be Forbidden Friendship from the How to Train Your Dragon soundtrack. To be honest, that entire soundtrack was one of my favorite things to row to. Kind of cringy, maybe, but it gets worse. I had a Storm Petrel, which is like a tiny sort of ocean going bird follow me from about day four until about day 50. And I named him Stuart. And I used to play this song whenever he would turn up. And it was kind of sweet and kind of fun and a little bit cheesy, but I liked it. And then as well as that, there was another song called 99 Red Balloons by Goldfinger. Um, Not the original. The original's terrible. The cover is excellent. And that was just like my happy song. Uh, so if ever I was feeling down, I would just play that and scream out the lyrics till my heart's content. Out of tune, probably out of time, but who cares? No one can hear. And then lastly, ACDC Thunderstruck, because that's a power song. And I think one night I was having some quite bad hallucinations. I, I could I kept hearing like crying and wailing on the wind at night, which was really messing with my head. And at one point I thought I saw a, a zombie hand come out the water and grab the side of the boat. I think it was just a little wave, but it was dark and I was very sleep deprived. And when I saw that, I was like, right, I'm just going to play Thunderstruck as loud as I possibly can. And I think I actually stood up and told the hallucinations to F off. And that, yeah, you know, that seemed to do the trick for a couple of days anyway. So that that one really worked. But that, you know, that there are some honorable mentions that have to go out there. Uh, and that's got to be, if you're going to be dumb, you're going to be tough. Got to be dumb, got to be tough. Uh, the Jurassic Park theme tune, Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. The Moana soundtrack. I mean, you know, there's a lot. I had, I think it's fair to say this, the finest playlist in the fleet, possibly of any fleet, possibly of any ocean rower. I'm going to go out there and say that. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? Yeah, post-adventure blues is something I've definitely got, still probably have, if I'm going to be honest. Um, and I finished, it's now, what, it's now November and I finished in February, so that's a while. It's tricky because, you know, initially you're in Antigua and it's fantastic and you're living your best life, or in my case I was anyway. And then he came home and because it was COVID, had to self-isolate and so it, that was fine. And then I kind of went back to my own flat, I was self-isolating with the parents, I went back to my own house and then I realized it was all over and it really kind of like hit home that it's like, oh crap. So 
what happens next? And I really didn't know. And I was just walking down the high street and I got hit with this massive sort of zap of anxiety, which kind of caught me off guard. And it's a difficult thing to deal with. I think, you know, you just need to, and this is not necessarily something I've done that well, but I think the important thing is to look forward as to what's next instead of constantly looking back at what you've just done. So whether that's doing a new career or, you know, planning another expedition or whatever it is, I think that's a really important thing. But I think, I think staying busy is definitely helpful because that just helps keep you, keep you focused on other things. But it's difficult. And, and I think for me, you know, I wanted to do this thing for 12 years. So to have that dream sort of come to an end was, was definitely a bit of a, that definitely hit home pretty, pretty heavily. But it's all right. You know, you come out of it the other end. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? So I think there's a couple things that I would say to future ocean rowers. I think the first one is I'd really encourage future rowers to talk to as many former rowers as they can. And, you know, that needs to be taken with a pinch of salt because I think, you know, just because you've rowed an ocean doesn't mean you've rowed it well. But there's still lots to be learned there. And, you know, just about, you know, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. Is that something you've thought of? How might you do this differently? And just really just bounce some ideas around and, and bounce them off people. But like I say, just with a pinch of salt, because as well, you know, just because it worked for someone in one race, even if they had a fantastic race or, or crossing or whatever, um, their conditions may be very different to your conditions. And maybe they did it in a, in a pair and, and you did it in a four. So again, you know, talk to as many people as you can, but just be wary of, the, you know, the different differing experiences and that, and that there isn't just one way to row an ocean. So I think that'd probably be my first tip. Uh, and secondly, I, I really think just learn to row. Yeah, just learn the basics. You don't need to be, so, you know, some flash sculler tearing up the course at Henley, but you really just need to learn the basics, the importance of not gripping too tight, of driving with your legs, of not opening your back too soon. And really that just lends itself to injury prevention. You know, when you're rowing for whatever it is, 40, 50, 60 days, you can start to get little repetitive injuries and stuff. So if you're not, if you're not rowing particularly well, you just become a lot more prone to injury. Um, and then obviously, if you do get an injury, it will only get worse out there and it'll snowball and so on. So learning to row can really just save you a lot of pain uh, while at sea. And then, yeah, I think the last one really is is really just to get as much time in the boat as possible. It doesn't even have to be your ocean rowing boat. If you're not a particularly good sailor, spend some time out sailing. Understand how, you know, how the wind and the waves work at sea. But ideally, yeah, get out in your boat and get out for some longer, nice long training rows and enjoy it. I think that'd probably be, be my advice. And finally, would you do it again? It's kind of a tricky question. Would I do it again? I, I had a fantastic crossing. I loved it. And and my goals for the crossing were very much do the absolute best that I could so I could look back on it and be proud of the of the job that I did. And I achieved that. I'm really happy with with what I did. And to that end, I I don't think I would do that particular crossing again uh solo. You know, I I think I did the best that I could. Had such a good fleet, made loads of good friends. I thought the event was really well run and was really slick. And I think to do it again, it just wouldn't live up to that same expectation. I'd be at least interested in in considering doing it again as part of a team, maybe, because that's a slightly different dynamic. And I'm pretty keen to to do a different ocean and again, possibly solo. So maybe the Pacific or something like that. But I think if I was I don't I think if I was to do it again solo, you know, it's a it's an enormous amount of work for something that I don't 
think would live up to the hype of the first crossing. So yeah, but another ocean, different team dynamic, something like that. Yeah, I'd be keen for that. It gets under your skin and then you kind of repress all the painful memories of the salt sores, of the crack ribs, of the sleep deprivation, of the hallucinations. And you just remember the really fun stuff, which I guess is the sign that you kind of had a good crossing. And then, uh, yeah, you're just keen, keen for more, really. Big thank you to Rob for sharing his story and all of his advice. Go and follow him on Instagram. There are some great videos on there of him singing along to his self-proclaimed greatest playlist in the history of ocean rowing. Although I checked out that cover of 99 Red Balloons, I can confidently say it's just as terrible as the original. Sorry, Rob. If you're an ocean rower and would like to share your story, get in touch with the Ocean Rowing Club at gmail.com or via Instagram at the Ocean Rowing Club. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, like and share and recommend it to all your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when I'll be talking to one of the oldest ladies to have rowed the Atlantic Ocean. Toodle pip.